Hello, my name is Chris Marchioli, and I'm an executive director with Waystone in New York. I'd like to thank everyone for joining our webinar today, where we will be covering recent developments related to FACA CRS reporting in the Cayman Islands. Today, I'll be joined by my colleague, Roman Ifling, who's a managing director in our regulatory compliance services group. Roman has been with Waystone for over seven years, and before joining Waystone, Roman was head of tax compliance at KPMG in Cayman, and has also worked with several asset managers during his career. For those of you who aren't familiar with Waystone, we're a global governance risk and compliance firm that has supported the asset manage management industry for over 20 years. We have over 600 employees spread across nine offices where we provide services to Europe, the Middle East, Asia Pacific, and also here in the US. We support investment structures and strategies worldwide with over 1 trillion in assets under management overall. Today, we will be reviewing key FACA and CRS requirements and deadlines for the Cayman Islands, and also recent CRS enforcement guidelines issued by the Cayman Tax Information Authority. We will also touch on Cayman Tax portal updates and cover 2021 reportable jurisdictions. Lastly, we'll speak about ways we're able to help investment managers ensure that they are meeting the many FACA and CRS requirements in the Cayman Islands. Roman, before we get into the enforcement guidelines that are getting a lot of attention, would you be able to provide an overview of the key FACA CRS requirements and deadlines? Sure, thank you, Chris, and hello, everyone. Yeah, FATCA and CRS have been around now for some time. Uh, most of you know this are automatic exchange of information regimes where jurisdictions share information about investors, account holders, so that they declare their investments in their local jurisdiction and their tax return to ensure that the tax system um, have their integrity and there's no tax evasion. We have US FATCA, which um, looks at US investors, if any US investors or citizens have invested in a fund. And um, similarly, the common reporting standard um, applies to all the investors in um, an entity, and you determine um, if they are a tax resident in one of the participating jurisdictions. The entities have to do then an annual filing for FATCA and CRS. Uh, for CRS, it's a mandatory filing, so even if you have no reportable investors, you have to submit a report to the authorities in Cayman certifying that there are no reportable accounts. For US FATCA, it's not mandatory if you don't have any US investors, but we always advise that you file a report to demonstrate to the authorities you have done your due diligence, you have uh, done your filings, and those filings are due July 31st of 2022 for the 2021 reporting cycle. If you are a new manager, um, you need to consider if it's the first time around that you do this filing, uh, you know, you have to talk to your service provider, to your administrator and see if everything is in place. If you have reviewed the classifications and things like this, and that's also something where, where Raystone can assist you. In addition to the traditional US FATCA and CRS report, the Cayman Islands has something um, in addition, the CRS compliance form. Um, this was introduced in 2020. And really, the OECD um, and the participating jurisdictions wanted that the Cayman Islands collect a little bit more data uh, from the market participants because Cayman doesn't have a tax system. So there's a limitation on the, the data points that they can collect. 
Um, so the CIS compliance form is a filing that's due September 15th, and it asks additional questions. So it looks at the financial data information about the entity. Is it registered with SEMA? If it's not registered with SEMA, who is performing the KYC um, and um, AML um, reviews? And then also if there are financial statements available. But the two main sections are really focusing on non-reportable investors. So um, on the one hand, you submit the data of the reportable investors, but the authorities want to know also what are the, the investor base made up of the non-reporting investors. So you have different buckets, like for example, US investors, um, FI investors. So you have to classify your investors then in these additional buckets so that the authorities have then an idea what is the population of reportable investors and what is the population of non-reportable investors? They have the total NAF size. And this enables them also then to have like an audit tool where they will be able to, um, and, you know, they have some criteria and can then choose who to select for an audit um, or an examination. So that's, that's one of the purposes of, of this form. Thanks, Roman. Sounds like uh, whoever is overseeing this role uh, really should have a good understanding of the regulations in Cayman. It's really important. Um, regarding the enforcement guidelines that have been getting a lot of attention, can you provide an overview um, of what they are and what the drivers might be? Why did the tax authority in Cayman release these earlier this year? So, yeah, uh, like you said, these were issued March 31st of this year. And these are now setting out the enforcement action and administrative penalties under the CRS regulation. So before, if someone asked, what is the applicable penalty if we miss a report, that was hard to say because there was no clear information uh, what the penalty would be. Uh, but now with the issuance of this enforcement guidelines, we have a, a clear idea of what, what the penalties will be. Um, and the authorities had to demonstrate also that uh, Cayman Islands did not only set they implemented the common reporting standards, so they now also have tools to enforce them. Um, so if a report is missing, there will be um, a penalty. And so this is a tool to really ensure compliance um, of the, the participants with the common reporting standard. And maybe it's a, a good idea to have a look at some examples, what the authorities consider um, to be an offense um, under the, these guidelines. So there's a, there's a specific definition, for example, of undocumented accounts. So you should be clear what you submit if the investor is really undocumented or not. Um, otherwise, if you do an incorrect submission, then that could trigger a penalty. Maybe we take some of the, the obvious one, the failure to submit a CRS declaration or a compliance form. So these are, um, if you miss to file a report, there will be now a penalty um, assessed. Um, not so obvious one, but we have seen in the past that uh, investment managers were not clear on the classification and got a notice from the authorities asking if this entity should not have a gin or if the registration is correct like this. So there will be also now penalties if an entity is not classified correctly on the portal or if you're missing the information of the authorizing person or the principal point of contact. So this will carry now also a penalty. So you have to review the setup on the portal to ensure that all the necessary information um, 
is is correctly set up in the portal. And then with respect to um, incorrect reports, so if uh, reportable accounts are missing, which is later detected in an examination, that can trigger a, a penalty. Or if um, you fail to submit certain data points like the tax identification number or date of birth. So you have to really review before you file that all the required data points are contained in the XML file that's submitted to the authorities. Thanks, Roman. And then, yeah, go ahead. Uh, would you say, have we heard of any uh, penalties being um, enforced yet? Or what would the timeline be for this? I think we had a few questions about that already. Actually, we uh, today saw the first notice issued or the first penalty issued for not uh, registering the entity by the deadline. Um, so when I mentioned there's July 31st as a reporting deadline, Cayman has also a registration deadline when you have to register a new entity by, which is April 30th, that's passed. So, um, and you see now on the screen, um, the details about the, the offenses and the penalties that give you a better understanding um, what is was what the penalty is carrying for the different offenses. And the failure to register on the, uh, the portal is 37,500 Cayman dollars. So all these amounts are in Cayman dollar. And the Cayman dollar is roughly 20% more than the US dollar. So it's it's a hefty penalty. And so, yeah, as I said, today we had seen that, or we were contacted by someone that had received the notice. Um, and they are now seeing what they can do with this penalty. But also interesting, if you look at the different penalties and they're very detailed, as we said before, um, in the CRS compliance form, um, they're asking also about the policies and procedures that you have CRS policies and procedures um, for the entity. So you can have policies and procedures of your administrator, but these should be entity specific. They should address how the fund oversees the CRS compliance process, uh, who's involved, who approves filing, who makes the filings. And you see a failure to establish and maintain written policies and procedure as the first point can carry up to 7,500 uh, Cayman dollars. Then also the failure to implement and comply with the um, policies and procedures, um, the same penalty. And so they are separate offenses. And then also to establish and maintain these written policies and procedures. So when we prepare them and send them to the board of directors, um, we always recommend them to ratify those policies and procedures so that it's documented in, in the notes, in the minutes. Um, if later there should be any question or you know uh, an examination, you can point to, to this ratification. But then you see also, um, if you fail to submit a CRS return, it's $5,000. If you don't um, submit a new report or provide any other information, 10,000 US dollars. So it can up, can add up um, and shows you also the different areas where the authority really uh, focus on that they want to ensure that everyone is following the processes and the policies that are set out by the, the common reporting standards. Well, thanks, Roman. That's really helpful. I mean, this is clearly something that should be on everyone's radar. Um, the tax authority, you know, has been tasked with not only creating the uh, regulations, but enforcing them. And they need to show that to the global regulators. And that's why this is so important. Now, you mentioned some of these data points that you mentioned um, are maintained in the portal. Um, I was wondering if you could cover a little bit about, you know, what's new in the portal 
and specifically cover um, the uh, deactivation. That's a new feature there that needs everyone needs to be uh, paying attention to. Yeah, so the deactivation function um, was available beginning of this year, and it was really important that you review um, any liquidating entities that uh, are no longer um, active, that you deregister them from the portal so you have no ongoing um, requirements, filing requirements. As we saw, um, if you are registered on the portal, then the authorities um, will assume that you have a filing requirement, and if you don't file, um, you could be subject to, to penalties. So this is a new feature. What you have to do is you provide some information um, when the entity um, ceases to exist. You have to attach the certificate of dissolution um, or whatever you have on hand, for example, and the SPC, the resolution to terminate a cell. And then you also have to provide um, the information who will maintain the records of the entities for the next six years. And then that request is submitted via the portal. So similar to a filing, um, it will be sent to the authorities and then they review the deactivation and either come back with questions. Um, they would then uh, deny the request of termination and ask uh, to attach um, different documents or um, you have to be also sure that you filed all your returns that are outstanding. And there's there's also a little difference in, in fresh CRS. So it's really important that, for example, if an entity, if all the investors uh, left, let's say, December 31st of 2021, but then the liquidation um, ends in 2022, let's say in March, the entity still has filing obligations for 2022. So it's not enough that you just file the 2021 returns and the CRS um, compliance form that's also required. So the CRS declaration and the compliance form, and if you have reportable accounts, but then you also, and you can do that already on the portal, um, file then also the same returns for 2022, the declaration and the CRS compliance form. And only if that has been completed, then the authority will deactivate the entity from the portal and there are no further filing requirements. And no no potential penalties. Thanks, Roman. So there's it seems like there's a lot more responsibility given now to the principal point of contact um, and the AEOI delegate um, in maintaining this information. And we'll talk a little bit later about how we can help with that um, if any of any of uh, our audience aren't comfortable uh, filling that role, because um, we do see people from the management side. Uh, being appointed to those roles. And clearly this is getting so complicated now uh, that it might be a good idea for many to uh, to look to experts to, to uh, be appointed to these roles. Um, how about the, um, the 2021 CRS reportable uh, jurisdictions, Roman? Anything of note here? It's always important before the filings are due to review if there are additional jurisdictions added or sometimes they drop off. And um, for, for the 2021 reporting cycle, you see here on the slide, so Jamaica, Kenya, Morocco have been added. Um, so you maybe have investors in those jurisdictions. So the review needs to include these uh, jurisdictions as well, because you might have to file there. And Kuwait has been removed from the list as reportable jurisdiction. So if you have investors uh, that were tax resident in Kuwait, then you don't have to report them. But 
it is important to have it also in your policies and procedures. So we update them on a regular basis. Um, maybe we review each quarter, but then if something like this um, comes up at the beginning of the year, uh, if there are changes to the reportable jurisdictions, we include that so that the policies and procedures are always up to date. And then now one of the big changes was obviously the enforcement guidelines. They have been included in the policies as well. So that also the board is aware what has been changed, what their responsibility is, um, and that we are all on the same page. Okay, that's good to know. And that's something else your team has expertise in, right? Keeping up with the reportable jurisdictions um, and making sure that the investor classifications are reviewed and accurate, which is a very important part of the process. And that kind of leads uh, leads us to where we can help managers. You know, we have several different ways we can help a manager. You know, we can work alongside your administrator um, to take over the roles of principal point of contact, AEOI delegate. Uh, we can handle the CRS attestations and forms, make the filings. Um, or we can. We also have a full service option where we can actually perform the investor classifications that will be generated by your administrator. So there's definitely several different ways uh, we can help here. Uh, we have a customizable solution, and we'll be happy to have a conversation uh, with you about how we might be able to help. Um, Roman, can you think of any other ways, you know, situations where we might be able to help? I know we do other things like. Um, procuring GIN numbers, helping with self-certifications, WA forms. But what would be the important, you know, pieces that you see most often that managers might need help with? Um, like you said, we have a completely customizable service. So it can start as simple as just getting a GIN number or helping with a form to the completely outsourced solution where we oversee the administrator or in case of a family office or a private equity fund where everything is done in-house, in we work then with the internal teams together, um, help them with the classifications, and then we file the reports and, and create the, um, the, you know, the necessary filings for them. Um, maybe also important to, to say is we provide this service in over 20 jurisdictions. So while Cayman is our biggest uh, you know, part of the portfolio, but also we can help with, with funds in Ireland, Luxembourg, Singapore, Hong Kong. Um, so that, that's no, no problem as well. Um, important is, yeah, you have to be up to date. And like you said, um, there are constant changes with deadlines, with now with the additional enforcement guidelines. Um, so it's hard for, for smaller managers that are new and starting to keep up with all the regulatory uh, compliance issues. So it's good to have someone that, um, you know, can provide an expert service, I would say, um, that navigates you through these, these things and helps you with this and takes on the responsibility. So that's one of our um, distinguishers that we also take on the responsibilities for these filings. Uh, but also, if you have a lot of investors or, you know, bigger funds, um, the, the investment manager, portfolio manager, or the compliance officer, they might not have the technical knowledge, but for sure, um, I'm sure they don't have the time um, to go through everything in detail, to look at the, the uh, documentation that was obtained, if it's valid, test what the administrator has done. And that's, I think, where we can, you know, where we plug in well 
we can help them out. Uh, we take this on for them. That's what we do on a daily basis. Uh, and we work together with the administrator, like you said before, and it can be really as hands-on or hands-off at as you like. So we can have regular calls, we can have calls um, right before the deadline to discuss what, what uh, has been done, what will be reported. And we also present and uh, on board meetings and prepare reports where we tell the board what is the current situation, are there any outstanding issues, what will be reported, um, and when the reports have been submitted, so that the board is uh, also aware what's the current state and what are the next steps um, for, for the funds. Exactly. So really, whoever is handling this now at the manager can really step away from the process and, and hand it over to an expert firm like Waystone. And I'll just note that we do work with you know pretty much every administrator on the planet and, and have created uh, customizable solutions to fit with their workflows and your workflows to make this, um, make all of the reporting accurate and make sure it's done on time. So, you know, we'd love to be able to help um, you know, here is a review of some of the points uh, that we can help with. I'm happy to send this to anyone who wants to reach out to us uh, after uh, the call. Um, we're happy to have a, Roman and I are happy to have a conversation with you um, and find ways that we might be able to assist. So I want to thank everyone for attending today. Um, if you have any questions, please do reach out to us. And we look forward to hearing from some of you. Uh, we did get some questions in that we didn't get to today. Um, I'll respond to those individually. And please don't hesitate to reach out, even if you think your workflow is maybe, you know, is, is uh, solid enough to make sure you, you meet the requirements this year at the end of July and in September. We're happy to do a gap analysis or a reality check and make sure that everything is done accurately, especially in light of the fines. It's important that it's, it's done right this year. So thank you very much for attending.